but uh, we're dealing with the consequences of not believing this morning in this text that is before us. Uh, to set the tone for it, though, before we even get to not believing in specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it is true in the world that we are living in today that people do not want to think about the consequences that come our way at the results of decisions that we make, good or bad, or things that we do. We go through life and frequently do things that we want to do irregardless of what the consequences might be and then get upset when the consequences come our way. We have the practical situations where sometimes people think that they can be involved, for example, in thievery and think that there's no consequences that will come. Embezzlement. We read about these things in our paper all the time. And people go on for years and years and they're embezzling funds and then they get surprised or wonder why there's consequences and they've got to go to jail for the rest of their life. People commit murder. And we hear the expression getting away with murder and so forth and all kinds of things. That can get down into the very simple and practical everyday decisions that you and I make. When we make decisions in life and we don't want to think things through or we don't care enough to research something and so we just do certain things and then later on pay the consequences for that and we're not too happy about it. Well, that's also true when it comes in this area of the consequence, consequences of not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. There are some that think that it is absolutely no big deal if I don't trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. It doesn't really matter. It's just another religious thing that's been thrown out there, and there's no consequences that come if I don't believe. There are some who think that it doesn't matter what I believe about Jesus. As long as I attach myself to the name of Jesus Christ and say he's my personal Savior, it doesn't matter what I believe about him. Whether I believe he's God or not God, whether I believe he's the only way of salvation, doesn't matter. As long as I attach the name of Jesus, I'm okay. It's not true, by the way. There are those who go through life. As you know, I conduct many funerals. And I have had the unfortunate opportunity, in some cases, of just being called and asked would I go do certain funeral. I didn't even know who the person was. Tried to do as much to find out as I could about them, but... It, it was a given situation where they really needed somebody, and the funeral home knew me. So I went down. They also knew what I was going to be saying. And then I've had the opportunity where people have called me on the phone after funerals that I've given and said, who in the world did I think I was to give a message about hell and to give a message about the only way of salvation was Jesus Christ? And the point is, people think that, you know, I can just think when it comes to the idea of hell that it's a joke. It's a myth. I'm not really sure it's there. It may be a fantasy that, you know, when I get there, I'll be there with all my friends. Boy, how dangerous that is to be saying that type of thing. There are others that just have the notion that religion just puts guilt trips on you. That's where our society is today in 2010. It is blaming religion, quote, unquote, for everything that's happening in the world. They used to blame the former president. Now they blame religion. And they've got excuses for everything that's going on, and it's just putting guilt trips on regarding morals in life. And I really don't have to worry about my actions. Just be happy and go through life. There's no consequences. And they, there's many a person that believes that way. Many of your neighbors, whether you realize it or not, think there's no consequences that 
are surrounding the concept of whether they trust in Christ, no concept of heaven and hell, and they don't care, and they're not going to worry about it. Even worse than that, we're living in a society in which I am appalled at this, but see it very frequently. There are those who think they can demand answers from God. It's as if we were God. God, why did you do this? By the way, we've prayed about Haiti. We've talked about even how we can assist. And I saw that in one of the headlines of one of the papers. God, why this poor country? In other words, God, what did you do? And we all of a sudden think we can just go around blaming God for things that are going on in the world. Anything that goes wrong, God gets the blame. Anything that goes right, we get the credit. That's the way man thinks. It is. It's as if God must give answers and explanation to us for everything that he does. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. We answer to him. He doesn't answer to us. In the text that we have come across today, that's before us as we continue in our exposition of John chapter 8, this text throws out all of those fallacies that there's no consequences of whether I believe in Christ or not, that there's no consequences of a place called hell, that my decisions, my actions, my choices in life do not result in any consequences. This text throws that out. It also bridges the text to us. As you know, if you were with us last week, we talked about the fact that Christ is the light of the world, and he bridges that into another very well-known passage, often quoted by even the unsaved world, and that is that the truth shall set you free. And so to bridge the gap between the light of the world and the truth shall set you free, we come into this text here in verses 21 to 29. You well know the background if you've been here regularly and know where we are in chapter 8. Jesus has just stated last week in our, in our exposition that he is the light of the world. Not just that he gives light, he is the light. He is the one that provides light and life to the world. And the religious leaders, if you just look at verse 20 to introduce us, to get into verse 21, in verse 20, the religious leaders there, who, where he was speaking in the treasury, and we explained that to you last week, wanted to seize him. They wanted to take him. They wanted, if you will, to arrest him in verse 20. But we know, as the text tells us, that his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. It was not yet time to go to the cross. He wasn't that far away from it yet, but his hour had not yet come, and man does not control his life, meaning the life of Christ, or when they take him or not take him. But they were upset with the fact that he was saying that he is the light of the world, that he is the one that provides light in life and remembering the celebration and the last night of the celebration that we are in in the context. So now Jesus will confront his critics, if you will, with the consequences of their actions. He's going to come right out, and people don't want boldness. They don't want people to talk about sin. They don't want to confront things. And by nature, many of us are not confrontational. Jesus Christ, while humble while very meek in spirit, had absolutely no problem in confronting sin and confronting issues head on. And he confronts the consequences of decisions 
that they are making. And he does it in two ways, and this is what your outline should be. Number one, that they are going to experience spiritual death. And the second part of the outline is that they are absolutely spiritually blind. Spiritual death and spiritually, spiritual blindness are consequences of some of the decisions that they have. So what are the consequences of unbelief? Number one, spiritual death, verses 21 through 24. Let's look at it. Verse 21. He says to them, again to them, I go away. Now let's break that down, pretty simple. He says he's going to go away. Where is he going? He's going to return to his father ultimately. He is talking about his death, his resurrection, his burial, and his ascension, and his going away. We know that from the context, even when he gets down to verse 27, where he's speaking about his father. He's going to go away because he's going to leave the earth. He's been on the earth. He's been ministering. He's been teaching. He's been performing miracles, and he's going to return to his father. And uh, that would be where? Heaven. He's going to go to heaven. He is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. We know the scriptures reveal that to us. For example, the book of Hebrews. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ today? That's where he is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Does he indwell believers? Yes. Does he intercede for believers? Yes. But he is also the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended. We find that in Acts. And he is now at the right hand of the Father. That's what he's talking about. Where is that? We've learned that in our study of the book of Revelation on Sunday nights. He is in his throne above, not beneath, above. He is at his throne in heaven. And that's where he was going to do go until he will come back to the earth. But then after saying that he's going away, he charges them. He charges them, or also, as some have put it, he warns them in verse 21. And watch what he says. He says in verse 21, And you shall seek me. And I'll deal with the next expression in a moment. They were going to seek him. Let's understand what that means in the context, first of all. Were they just going to seek the Lord Jesus Christ? No. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Dan? That's what it says. Well, think about it. First of all, they've tried to seize him before. And they will seek him in the Garden of Gethsemane, will they not? And they will apprehend him, will they not? And take him and basically bind him, take him to some false trials, will they not? Yes, they will. So what does he mean when he's telling them, and you notice that they're not going to be able to find him, and they're going to die in their sins, but he's saying, you're going to seek me. In the context, what he's dealing with is seeking me, because he's already identified who he is. Who is he? The Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is Jehovah God. He is Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Jewish mind, they are seeking still who? The Messiah. They're going to continue to seek the Messiah, who really is Jesus Christ. But they're going to do it, and we're going to see this in a few moments, on their terms according to their standards, and it's not going to work. They're going to make decisions. They have refused. We have seen this in chapter, actually going all the way back to chapter 1 of John, but particularly in this particular passage, in chapter 7 and chapter 8, they have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's declared to them who he is, 
and they absolutely will refuse to believe he's the Messiah. They will absolutely refuse to believe that he is the light of the world. They will refuse to believe that he is the bread of life. They don't want to do it. And even after they're trying to seize him and can't do it, they will continue to seek him in the sense of as the Messiah. And they will do it on their terms. These are men who knew the scriptures. These are men who knew that God was going to send a deliverer, and they were looking for him in that sense. However, it was on their terms. They were looking for a political leader. Now, this is important to us even for application today. They were looking for a political leader. They were looking for a military leader that in their particular case would deliver them from Rome. Now, they had Isaiah 53 as an example. They knew that the Lord Jesus Christ, or they knew that the Messiah that was to come had to also be a suffering servant. They should have known that from Genesis. But they didn't. They were looking for someone on their terms. I want to say to you again, we've already dealt with the concept of seeking Jesus. We are living in a century today, my friend, when there are more people saying they've trusted in Christ, and they haven't. They have not. They have simply sought Jesus on their terms. They are looking for a Jesus that can get them out of their troubles only. They're not coming to him as Lord and God and Savior and the only way in truth. There are people that are coming that way, many in the audience right before me. But you need to be on God. If you're looking to come to Jesus Christ just so that you can have a better life, or he meets your satisfaction. That is exactly what the Jews were doing. They were coming and looking for the Messiah, but it had to be on their terms, not his terms. They weren't looking for an, a spiritual, eternal deliverer that could save their souls. They were self-righteous people who were satisfied with their own works and were works-oriented. They were a people who were nothing more than following religious ritual week after week after week, day after day after day. They were filled with pride. In fact, the scriptures bear this out, that they were too smart in their mind to follow after Jesus. Because if you remember the things that we've already seen in this book, they were saying, how could anything good come out of Nazareth? They hadn't researched. They hadn't studied but they were looking for a Messiah on their basis. They are like many today who are seeking God. There's people that say, I, I want to believe God. I'm seeking after God. You might be here in this church today, sitting here right in front of me right now, and you really in your heart want to know God, but you want to know God on your terms rather than who is he really? What is he like? Is there more ways of salvation or only one? Jesus Christ presented it very clearly to them that unless you believe on me, you will die in your sins. Look at the next expression, verse 21. He said, I'm going to go my way, where? To heaven. You'll seek me. So if he's going to go to heaven and he's going to go back to his father and they will be seeking what? They're still seeking the Messiah today, by the way, the Jews. And he says this frightening thing to them. They will die in your, notice this, singular Sin, you'll die in your sin. 
Well, first of all, in case you don't know it, there's a difference between physical death and spiritual death. Should be obvious to us, but I don't want to take anything for granted. Physical death is you're sitting in that pew here and the people are working in the nursery right all the way down to the babies. The day will come in which they will physically die. The day's coming, you are going to die physically. What is that? No matter what they put on your death certificate, I'll give you the biblical definition of, de of death. It is when the spirit and the soul leave the body. The body without the spirit is what? Dead. That's it. That's the biblical definition. When you die physically, the spirit and the soul has left the body. Well, what is spiritual death? Spiritual death is the absence of the soul and spirit, listen, from the presence of God. The absence of the soul and spirit from the presence of God. The only ones that will live in the presence of God and enjoy what we call heaven, which the Bible calls heaven as well, is those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. Period. Absent from the presence of God. By the way, I didn't plan on it, but go with me to 1 Thessalonians. Let me show you that. I want you to see that, not just hear it. I'm sorry, I said 1 Thessalonians. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to see it. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 6. For after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, encouraging the Thessalonian believers. Now watch this. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, now watch 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey what? The gospel. What gospel? Of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only good news, by the way. Now watch this, verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. What is that? Verse 9, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's a biblical definition. And what happens is those who die in their sin will die and be separated from the presence of Almighty God. The only thing that can bridge us back into his presence is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in that work on our behalf, that substitutionary sacrifice goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. Man refused, and what happened? Adam and Eve had to be cast out of the presence of God, cast out of the Garden, and we have been in this world trying to know that true living God. He's made it possible because none of us, get this, none of us through good works, none of us through our own righteousness can ever get back into the presence of God because the wages of sin is death. That's why. Not only physical death, but eternal death, separation from God. However, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back to our text in John chapter 8, we're still in verse 21. He says that they are going to die. It's not just physical, but they're going to die in their sin, which is singular, and it's spiritual death. What is the singular 
sin. It is unbelief. The primary issue today is unbelief. How do we know that? Well, first of all, in our text, look at verse 24. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins, plural. I'll deal with that in a moment. Uh, for unless you, here's the issue, unless you believe that I am the great ego I me, a me, the great I am of the Old Testament that identified himself when the people were delivered from Egypt. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. That's the issue. The main issue, first of all, with the singular is unbelief. Go with me to John chapter 16 for a moment. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5 and read it through verse 9. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me. Sounds like what he's talking about in chapter 8. It is. He kept telling his disciples he was going back to the Father. And none of you have asked me where I am going, but because I have said these things, these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, by the way, the helper shall not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. Now watch what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And let me just concentrate on that singular sin. Look at verse 9. Concerning sin, what's the issue? Because they do not believe in me. The singular issue is unbelief. You may think that there's no consequence to believing in Christ. There is. You will die in that condition if you do not come to believe in Jesus Christ, which means you will be eternally separated from God. That's serious. There are some who, again, say it's a myth. It's not a myth. Not a myth. It's a reality, just like your death is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. And so will eternal separation from God if you die in your sin. That was the condition, listen to me, of these religious men. These were the top people that knew the Old Testament. But they hadn't come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They were still searching for the Messiah and would continue to search after Christ left. They would continue to search for the Messiah and wouldn't find him because they would not believe on the very person that was standing in their presence. You need to think about that. They had all the evidence in the world provided to them. And he says further, verse 21, let's go back there. You'll seek me, you'll die in your sin, and where, watch this, where I am going, where was that, heaven, you cannot come. That would be the equivalent of walking and getting most of the pastors of churches today and saying to them, you're not coming where I'm going. And then the people thinking, well, these are the pastors. Or to go to the Roman Catholic Church and say to the priest, where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, those are the priests. Or going to the Jewish faith to the rabbis and saying to the rabbis, where I'm going, you cannot come. And our thinking is, but those are the religious leaders. It doesn't matter whether you're a religious leader or not. 
doesn't matter whether you're a blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, black, white, yellow, doesn't matter what your color is, doesn't matter where you were born, unless you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die in your sin, and you will not be where Jesus is in heaven. Very clear. And notice he says, you can't come. Why couldn't they come? Because of belief. It speaks also of a limited opportunity, does it not? Sure it does. The opportunity only exists. Verse 21 is so powerful that you need to realize you can't wait till you die. There's no opportunity then. The opportunity is now. For these men, their opportunity was standing right in front of them, and they refused to believe on Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? Have you heard a message over and over, maybe from another church, maybe from this church, maybe from a neighbor, and they've been telling you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're just thinking, that's some myth, something I don't have to worry about? Listen, you've already made a decision, and there's a consequence to that decision. Because if you don't believe on him, you will not be where Christ is. You will die in your sin. By the way, that throws out the whole concept of a second chance after death. What does that mean? All of the Eastern religions that believe in reincarnation, listen, it's not going to happen. Thank the Lord I'm not coming back as a mosquito. <laughs> you know, That's kind of an exaggeration. You know what I'm getting at. Seriously, there is no reincarnation. As you know, my background, I grew up Roman Catholic. The concept of purgatory, throw it out the door. The concept was that after you die, you can get and wait there, and then if enough prayers are said or you stay there long enough, you can get out. No. This is called life imprisonment with no parole. When you go to hell, you're there forever. You don't get out. You say, I'm not sure about that, Pastor Dan. Well, I'm glad you said that. Go to Luke chapter 16. You didn't say that. I said it for you. Luke chapter 16. Let's take a quick look. People think they're okay. They think their decisions are fine now. I'll take my chances. That's foolishness. Take your chances with eternity when you've got the word of God in front of you right now. In Luke chapter 16, time's going to escape us, but I'll get down to verse 19. Now, there was a rich man who uh, habitually dressed in nice clothing and so forth. Verse 20, there was a poor man. They both die. How do we know that? Look at verse 22. Now, it came about the poor man died, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died, and he was buried. Where's the rich man? Verse 23, in hell. In hell, he lifts up his eyes. What happened? He's in torment. And he saw Lazarus afar off. He cries out for mercy, verse 23, 24. And in case you don't think it's really punishment, look at verse 24. Send Lazarus that, I may, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in a happy party with all my friends. I'm in a real comfortable situation. It's not what my Bible says. He says that I might be comforted. Why? Because I'm in agony in this flame. Then notice this. Verse 27, jumping ahead. I should mention 26. He says, look, besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you cannot do it. 
and none may cross over to us. It's too late. You're dead. You cannot change the situation. By the way, notice he's conscious, conscious of the situation. He remembers he's got brothers. How do you know that? Look at verse 27 and 28. I beg you, Father, send them to my father's house. Why? For I have five brothers that are still on the earth, lest they come into this place. It was too late, and he knew it. He thought it was a joke going through life. He thought it was a myth that his decisions had no consequences. All of a sudden, he finds himself in hell. Now he says, I've got to warn my brothers. Go back and tell them. Look at what he says to them. He says, I have five brothers, and he says, verse 29, Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. You know what the bottom line is? Bottom line, he says, they have the Bible. They have the word of God that tells them everything they need to know. And if they don't believe that, they won't even believe if someone comes back from the dead. He says, oh, yeah, they will. No, Jesus Christ came back from the dead and people still don't believe. Bottom line, what I'm trying to show you is there's nothing after you die as far as being able to change the circumstances. There are tremendous consequences to your decisions today. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7 says, narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. It says that there are many in that day that are going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful things in thy name? Haven't we done miracles and so forth and so on? In your name, and Jesus Christ is going to turn and say, I never knew you. Depart from me into what? Eternal destruction, basically. Into hell. People are going to have their heads spinning and begin to realize that there's consequences to the decisions that they made. They had a total misunderstanding. I need to get back to John. In John chapter 8, total misunderstanding in verse 20. Two Jews were saying, surely he won't kill himself, will he? Boy, they were all messed up. The Lord said he was leaving from them. By the way, this is not new. If you look at chapter 7, look quickly at verses 33 to 35. Jesus had said this to him before. Jesus said, for a little while I am no longer with you. Then I will go to him who sent me, and you will seek me. There's that expression again. He's going to be where? With his father. You won't find me. Why? They'll still be looking for the Messiah. Where I am, you cannot come. What was their conclusion then? According to verse 33, he thought he would, they were going to go to the Greeks. According now to chapter 8, verse 22, they're still in a misunderstanding. Now they think he's going to go commit suicide. I want you to understand, though, by the way, the Greek construction there is such that they expect a no answer. They're saying, what's he going to do? Go kill himself, basically? But they're doing it in a way that they expect that the answer is going to be no. They don't think he's going to do it. But they're talking about suicide. What happens is you have a spiritually dead person that cannot understand. He says, why is he saying that? Then you come to verse 23 and 24. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven. According to John chapter 17, verse 5, if you're taking notes, he said in his prayer, high priestly prayer that many refer to, he said in that, Father, glorify thyself with me with the glory which I had, listen, before the world was. You see, God knew that none of us could save ourselves. He knew that all men were sinners and could show the glory of God. 
And when I say men, that's generic. Men, women, boys, girls, all come short of the glory of God. None righteous, no, not one. And God himself had to come to this earth. That is God in the flesh. That's Jesus Christ, God with us. That is the light of the world. And he came to bring into this dark world where people are from. We're from this world. That's physical. He's from above. He came to give us the information so that we also could have eternal life by believing on him. He says, I am not of the world, verse 23. And he said, I said therefore to you, now here's the plural part of it, verse 24, that you shall die in your sins. You see, the primary sin, singular, is unbelief. The manifestation of the sin is what you see. Murder, hatred, envy, pride, immorality, and on and on and on it goes. Galatians refers to it as the works of the flesh, which are manifest at your deeds. And you know what? You don't have to go out and commit murder to be a murderer. Jesus Christ made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder already. You don't have to go out and commit adultery because if you committed adultery in your heart, you've committed it already. You don't have to go out and steal if you've already stolen. You see? And the same thing, you don't have to have a lot of things. You can be the person that's just filled with greed and so forth because you lust for things that you don't have internally. And that's what God sees. You see, all we, all we see is the outside. We see the things in the paper and we think we're better off. We're not. Apart from the grace of God, we would have no hope. But because of the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ, we do. And Jesus Christ has made it possible. So he's contrasting in verse 23 the systems of heaven and hell. That's why we learned in chapter 3, if you recall, that a man must be born again. And if you remember what we said about that, it's born anew, but it's also literally born from above. How can a person be born from above? Can he enter back into his mother's womb and be born again? No. That's foolishness. He's got to be born in the inner man. It's a new spirit. It's an inward change, not an outward change. The outward comes, and it can only be done as a gift of God by the power of God. <clears throat> and so their un unbelief would manifest itself many ways as it did there. And then he says, for unless you believe that I am. Now, this is important before we close today. Unless you believe that I am. We've talked enough about the great I am. That is the one Moses said, when I go to the people, how, them, how am I going to know? How are they going to know I'm from God? Who am I going to say sent me? I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me. Now, why is that significant? It goes back to what I said earlier. People want to believe Jesus Christ on their own terms. Jesus is, been is saying basically this, if you can allow me this translation of the Greek here. It's this. I am precisely who I said I am. Who is that? He's already told them, I'm the Messiah. He's already told them, I'm the bread of life. He's already told them, I am the living water. I am the light of the world. And they didn't want to believe that about him. 
good man? Have you ever heard that? Jesus Christ is a good man, but I don't know that he's the only way. He was a moral man, but I don't know that he's God. Jesus Christ has already made it very clear in the first eight chapters of John that he is God, very God, the only means of salvation, and that's what they wouldn't believe. And unless they believe that he is precisely who he said he is, unless we believe Jesus Christ as presented in the Bible, why do you think Paul was so concerned that someone would come along and preach another Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because you and I are living in a century today in which that is exactly what's being taught. There are people that are saying, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. You believe that Jesus Christ is God, very God? Well, I don't know that I can believe that. Believe he was born of a virgin? I don't know that I can believe that. You believe he's the only way? Well, I'm not so sure. I tell you, on the authority of God's word, that person is not a Christian. Professing Christian, yes, but not a real one. And the frightening thing here is this. Unless you believe precisely who Jesus Christ is as presented in the word of God, you will die in your sin. The good news is if you come by faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. You'll be forgiven. And I know many of you have trusted in him. That's what it's all about. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's who he is. Not just a friend. He's more than a personal savior. You run in, that's a common expression today. I have my own personal relationship with Christ. Well, that's true, but I want to understand when people say that to me. What do you mean personal relationship? Do you ever read your Bible? Well, no, I don't, I don't, I don't have time. I have trouble reading. I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. It's confusing to me. I don't know a single baby that's ever been born physically in this world that doesn't cry because it doesn't need food. Do you? And if you think that's so, I'm going to volunteer you for nursery work next week. Okay? Those babies cry when they need food. Why? Because they're alive, they want food. Because you're alive, you can't wait till I finish so you can go home and eat. All right? It's true. It's because we're alive, we breathe. When you are alive spiritually, you need the word of God, which is why it says in Peter, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow. You can't grow without the word of God. It isn't that you study the word of God because the pastor says so, your Sunday school teacher says so. You want to read because you need it. You're alive. You pray because you're alive. You go to church not because you have to come to some service. Anyone can do that religiously. You come because you want to know God and learn about God. That's what we're doing this morning. Seeing who God is and understanding. And he was saying they'll die in their sins unless they come to him. Their spiritual blindness, I'm going to bounce right over 25, not because I want to ignore it, but 25 to 29. And in there, he's saying to them, they basically were spiritually blind. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because they're spiritually discerned. Natural man is blind. And they were, even as leaders. So they were saying, who are you then? And notice again what he says. Jesus says to them, verse 25, to show their spiritual blindness, just as I have been saying to you from the beginning. Everything I've been telling you about myself is who I am, and you won't believe it. 
What a challenge. How could they say, who, you, who are you, in verse 25? Why do you say that, Pastor Dan? I want you to see something. This was willful, now catch this, willful ignorance. No one will ever stand before God and say, I am not in heaven because I was not elected. Chew on that one. Because God says it himself. Man is without excuse. The problem is all of us deserve hell. Every single one of us. And if you're saved, you ought to be asking the question, why me? Because God, by his grace, saved you and enabled you to see. But all men are guilty and all men are responsible for their unbelief. And now in a totally blind state, because they're dead, unless God enables them to see, they will never see. But they had every evidence given to them. Watch. Think about what we've studied in John as I wrap this up. They had seen the miracles that he did. God had performed miracles through Jesus Christ. They heard his teaching. They heard his claims to be the I am. And the answer that Christ gives them, everybody, everything I've been saying about myself is who I am, and you absolutely won't believe. And what happened was he was going to return back to his heavenly father. He's referring to his crucifixion in verses 28 to 29. I'm going over it quick. And they needed to believe on him. Let me summarize today's message with this. I believe there are people that are seeking God, seeking Jesus, but they're not finding peace. And you know why? Because they haven't come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as presented in the scriptures. The only peace that will ever rule in your heart is when you come, according to Romans, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can have eternal life, but if you, through your stubbornness, as well as your blindness, continue to reject Jesus as the Messiah, if you continue to do that, you will die in your sin and suffer the eternal consequences of not being in the presence of God and having your sins forgiven. You will die in unbelief. There are consequences. There is a real hell. I showed you a glimpse of that in Luke chapter 16. There were two thieves on the cross, one who went to heaven and one who went to hell, neither one of which were able to do any good works. The only reason the one went to heaven is because he believed that the one next to him was not worthy of what he was getting and asked him to remember him when he came into his kingdom, recognizing who it was that was next to him. And he simply through faith believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no second chance. Don't wait till after you die because it's too late. You need to trust in Christ today. And by way of application for many of you who are believers today, I want you to think about this. There are consequences for not following what the Lord Jesus Christ wants for your life. You know, there's some people that don't go to the mission field because though they know God's working in their life in that way, they refuse. There's God calling people to serve in various ways in the local church, but they refuse. They're too busy. There's God calling them to do certain things, even in dealing with their families and jobs. And you and I refuse sometimes. There's consequences. Will I lose e eternal life? No, it's eternal. But there are consequences. And every believer still needs to stand not before the Lord for final judgment, 
before the, nah, but before the judgment seat of Christ, that we might give account of the things that we've done, whether good or bad, since salvation. There's consequences that come with our decisions. There's consequences that come when we pursue sin as believers. Don't think you're getting away with it. Your sins are forgiven, but there's consequences. Oh, how David could give a message and a lesson to us on that. King David lost his kingdom, lost his reputation. A man after God's own heart by decisions that he makes. You and I make them every day. We need to not only come to Christ for salvation, we need to follow him. Remember what it said in our responsive reading and closing? People sometimes don't grasp that. In using Matthew chapter 11, God warned some of those cities. It would be more, listen to this, more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those people that had the evidences before them in the person of Jesus Christ. They saw him, they heard him. Well, you say, I don't see Jesus Christ. You and I have the entire word of God. And it is going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than people who have heard about Jesus Christ and haven't come to him and have all the evidence in the world. And fellow believer, yes, we won't lose salvation. Absolutely not. But think about how much we have and how much we're responsible for and we are not paying attention to. Might God stimulate us to follow him after good works for the glory of God, after salvation. Let's pray. Our Father in God, it's a very sobering passage to realize that the people who had the Old Testament, the ones who were looking for the Messiah, had come face to face with the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, had seen the evidence and miracles, had heard his teaching clearly, had seen the evidences that he was the true Messiah, and they refused to believe. Father, what a tragedy that we can read it and find out that they died in their sin, that they could not come into the presence of God but would be eternally separated. Father, help it to be sober-minding to this audience. If there be any here who have not yet come to Christ, they've heard that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They know that they cannot save themselves but yet have not come to Christ. Open up their understanding, Father. Help them to see the wonders of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might come to trust in him and not die in their sin, but have the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. As believers, we claim that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Help believers in this audience to see the seriousness of walking with Christ, of following after him, of showing the evidences of spiritual life that are there. Help us to love the word of God. Help us to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow wherever he leads and to realize there's consequences for our decisions and even being out of the will of God. Help us to follow the way we should. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.